I would say that one of my big learnings is that people like working for B Corps. People like working for companies that are not just about the bottom line. We call ourselves triple bottom line. So we are all about profit is one. Of course, we have to be profitable in order to run the company. But planet is another and then people is another. So triple bottom line, the three Ps. So I would say that we've been successful in hiring during this time because people can tell from how we present ourselves to the world that we are not just about making profit. And so I would encourage that for other companies out there too. I think it's a strategic advantage. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Join our online community at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Michelle Hirons, founder and CEO of Hiring, about how she centers her business on creating quality jobs and offering great service. I'm super excited to be on here. My name is Michelle Hirons. I am the CEO and founder of Hire Ring. We do outsourced operations support for small to medium-sized businesses, mostly in the impact space. We offer fractional and full-time support. And also, we have quite a few CPG clients as customers. So excited to be on the show and look forward to this interview. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here too. I think it's a unique service that you offer that we haven't covered yet. So I'm really excited for the community to hear more about what you do. And we'll get to what you do. But I like to start with a little background on people like the leaders and how they've gotten to the place that they are now. So I was digging around in your background and noticed that you spent some time working in what I assume is the family business because it it has your name attached to it. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit more about that business and what you did there? Sure. So I did, I grew up in our family business, Hiron's Drugs up in Eugene, Oregon. We had two locations on either side of the University of Oregon. I was raised in a crib in the back room. And so by age four, I was sweeping and pricing. And by age six, I was four-pointing shelves, straightening merchandise, and helping with customer service. I got my first start in customer service at age six. By age eight, I was learning how to make change and run the register. And by age you know, 12 or so, I was a buyer going with my parents to buying shows and picking out products and learning to write purchase oh And then, you know, it's amazing. did all of the tasks and then, you know, got into bookkeeping in college. So I was doing the books and, you know, closing out registers and all of those exciting things. So yeah, really, really embedded in retail from an early age. Yeah, that's really cool. But I bet you also just kind of learned a lot and developed a certain work ethos. Like I've read various books about how people got to where they are and and so many super successful, like hardworking people came from like immigrant parents or entrepreneur parents or whatever, where they learned 
what it's like to work, you know, almost 24-7 kind of building your dream. So not only did you witness that, but you actually participated in it, which is pretty cool. Like I came from a, a line of entrepreneurs, but we didn't often work in that business. You know, we'd help out every once in a while. But I also learned kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. And I was starting businesses in elementary school, and like selling stuff out of my locker or selling crafts to the community or whatever. So it's it's kind of a fun experience growing up in that household. Do you think there's anything in particular that you learned from that experience that you bring forward to your work today? Absolutely. Well, just understanding commerce in general, of course, is huge, but understanding how to work, I think, is really important too. My dad, of course, didn't suffer any children that were just hanging about. So he would always put them to work, whether they were his kids or not. And so his kids definitely learned how to work. And then also, you know, I mean, I will say that one of the things that will float forward as a theme in just how I work is that, you know, we hired for minimum wage there. We didn't offer benefits at first there. And so, you know, we dealt with some labor union things that happened there that were just sort of formative and me thinking through what was was a fair workplace. So I think that's been really helpful to me as I look at running a B Corp business, which both you and I are, I'm super proud to say, and you know what, how to treat people that are working for us and with us and how we support everybody that's a stakeholder in our business. Is that family business still running now? It is, yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Do you know if they've changed any practices? Like, are they still minimum wage or are they giving benefits or anything now? I'm partly wondering, like, is it just a sign of the times? Like, you know, B Corp didn't exist probably when that business was founded. So, like, is it a change of times where we're realizing that there is a better way? Or is it more that these are just ethics you've learned over time personally? I would say that they've come a long ways. Are they where they need to be? Or, you know, would I love for, to see them become a B Corp? Yes, for sure. Um, I think that they have, I, you know, it's interesting with retail because they have really been affected by Amazon and by, you know, big pharmacies. You know, we are a pharmacy. So they've been affected by the changes just in how um, small businesses are affected. I think that they're on the road proud to say they're on the road. That makes sense. But I always also believe that like it's so much harder when you've been in business for a long time and your entire model is built around certain you know pay scales or benefit levels or whatever. And then to make the change, it's really difficult because then the change will be very noticed, like either by which I mean, like you're going to have to raise your prices, you're going to have to change your policies, you're going to have to change people's hours, you know, like there's going to be a lot of change. But when you're starting a new business, it's always easier because you can just build those ethics into the business from day one. And then you don't have to worry about whether or not you can afford to give benefits because you literally designed the business around it. That's true. But I will say also that I think you and I have both realized that there is a strategic advantage in treating people well and in making sure that they're cared for and in running your business in a sustainable, holistic way. And so I think that even businesses that are not set up that way, you know, initially, there is an opportunity for them to see the benefits of doing things in a really sustainable way. Absolutely. It might just be more of like a progression, like a baby steps, kind of like what you mentioned with your family business. It's like, you know, they're making progress, but it's not going to be, you know, zero to a hundred percent overnight because that's a lot of change for a business that's been running for so long, but you can make improvements. You can take steps. You can 
take years to get through the B Corp assessment if you need to and just use it as a, as a tool for improvement, of course. So I definitely agree with you that it, I'd encourage all businesses to be working towards those practices, even if certification is not a goal right away, but just to have something as kind of a compass for where you can get to and how you can improve. Because like you mentioned, like it, it does have benefits. It's not just a stamp that you can put on and to make yourself feel good. It's, you know, it really helps with it, recruiting and retention. Right. And, you know, maybe if you're in some sort of B2B or whatever kind of situation, yeah. it also helps, you know, you having aligned values with the type of clients you're trying to attract and so on and so forth. There's lots of reasons to do it, like you mentioned. Yeah, you're exactly right. Of course. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So fast forward, I don't even know how many years at this point, but let's just say to your young adultness or something like that. And you were spending time out in Copenhagen for business school. I've always kind of wished I had done a little bit more international school opportunities. So tell me a bit more about how that came to be and and what you were doing out there. Right. So that was just an exchange year through at university. So it was, you know, I would say it was absolutely formative to me to, you know, a young girl from Eugene, Oregon, to go, you know, live in Europe for a year and experience what a whole different culture was about. So the studying, of course, was important, but I would say that what I took away from it was so much more than just the studies. It was really living in a, even just a community sort of that really offers more care to their citizens than what we do here. So I don't think I ever got into a car until I left that program. I was always on trains and the trains were quick and they came, you know, they came all the time and you could get to from one place to another. You know, there's a lot of walking. It was very centralized. And, you know, it was just the care that they took for their citizens over there and how they structured their political system basically over there was very different from what I experienced here. So it was really eye-opening. And also it sort of has guided me in terms of what I think would be helpful as we work through sort of these challenging times over here. How can we be better? How can we take care of our citizens better? How can we take care of our employees better? How can we really you know, utilize our skills and our smart thinking to optimize just our systems and processes. Yeah, that's great. There's something so beautiful about traveling to other cultures and learning that your way of doing things or the way that you grew up with isn't the only way. And there are completely viable other paths. Some of it works and some of it doesn't. But just experiencing that there are different ways to approach things, I think is so eye-opening. I almost wish there was some way to make it mandatory for even like public school. Like every kid in high school has to go to another country for a year or something like that and and uh, do study abroad. I don't know how that even works. I know I had a friend that had a study abroad person live with him from Australia for a year when we were in high school. I don't even know how those programs came about. I, I never, nobody ever told me I could apply for that. So <laughs> I think that kind of stuff should be more publicly known and maybe some government support to make it happen for people who don't have the money to do something like that. Just because it is so eye-opening and there's so much experience that you bring back and a new awareness and maybe even new compassion for others too that maybe don't see things the way you do. You you just kind of open your mind a bit more, I think. Right. I totally agree. That would be an incredible investment if we could do that for kids here. 
Nice. So as we talked about at the top of the episode, you came from some entrepreneur lineage, of course, but now you are also an entrepreneur. And I know there is kind of a, a journey between all this business school stuff and working with your, in your family's business to becoming an entrepreneur. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey and what drove you to start hiring? Sure. So like I said, I was raised in retail and even after, you know, graduating university, um, I worked in a few different industries and, but then I came back to, I moved to the San Francisco Bay area where I am now and I worked for big retailers. So Williams Sonoma, Louis Vuitton on their e-commerce offerings during the big dot-com bubble. So I worked on Sephora's launch and then also a company that no longer exists called eLuxury. And those were times when I really delved into the systems behind e-commerce and just retail, like it's in-store retail and that sort of thing. So really learned a lot about how information flows from one system to another and how to use systems to optimize work for people. And so I was in product management there, which means that you're working on how to improve work for people. So using systems. And so part of that was really spending time with users, figuring out what they were trying to get done, and then figuring out how to optimize it, how to automate certain things, and then also how to transfer information between systems. And so as part of that, I got to spend a lot of time on the ground with people in stores, you know, using POS systems or people in warehouses using warehouse systems or people in call centers, which is where this whole journey sort of began. And as part of that, you know, I definitely, you know, got to sit with people and learn their processes and then translate that to systems. But one of the things that I really noticed was that at corporate headquarters, we had beautiful surroundings, amazing benefits and, you know, restaurants right on site where we could just run up and grab something really quickly that was healthy and delightful and sit out on beautiful decks and look over the San Francisco Bay, you know. And so, and, you know, great benefits, you know, groups of exercise groups and just a bunch of stuff. But then you would go to, you know, an offsite location, usually in definitely a lower wage area. So definitely Las Vegas was an area where I traveled to Baltimore, the outskirts of Baltimore, and then a lot of time in Ohio for the gap. And so spending time in the call centers there, spending time in the warehouses there. And, you know, it's just a very different situation than it was at headquarters. So a lot of, you know, very hourly labor where lots of churn, lots of, you know, working our way through people, a lot more constraints on time, no fun restaurants, no fancy restaurants. The benefits just weren't the same. And so as part of that, I always wondered, all right, these people are on the front lines of the brand experience. How is it that we're not treating them well too? And so later on, I went to be the head of operations for a startup and it was in the ticketing space. So we worked with big cultural institutions. If you can think of some of the biggest museums out there, those were our clients. And so as part of that, I started two call centers so one was tech support and onboarding for clients that were coming onto that platform. 
So they were coming on to sell their tickets, to sell their memberships, to interact with their clients online, mostly. And then also, I didn't spend too much time on the ground stuff, but mostly online. And so built a call center for that. And then we also built a call center for their clients. So customers that were coming in to book those individual memberships or buy tickets online. So two different call centers. And so I hired people. I was only allowed to hire people as contractors. So this is another whole discussion, right? Because contractors, you don't have to pay for benefits and you don't have to, you know, they don't take advantage of any stock option plans, anything, you know, that's really rewarding to them long-term. So I was allowed to hire people as contractors. And so I hired work from home people from all across the U.S. And we worked on sort of the model of remote work and how to develop a culture and how to manage and how to, you know, treat people that are working remotely. And it was very successful, but it always weighed on me that I was not able to hire these people as employees. And so when I left there, I was, and it was right after the 2016 election, and I looked around and I was like, well, how can I use my skills to be helpful? And so this came to mind and I had a couple of people in my ear saying, hey, I'm starting up this thing and I need people to answer the phones or I need operations support. And so I thought, okay, well, let's try this. Let's partner with some people from my old company. Some of the clients had fallen away. So I went after them and we started it up. And it took us, you know, I mean, we're almost in our fifth year now. We're at around 50 people now. And we are proud B Corp and offering benefits and we're, you know, hiring people as employees. But it has definitely been an entrepreneurial journey with the sleepless nights and the, you know, just working through partnerships and how that works and how to really work with our clients and understand that, you know, they might be going through hard times too. And how do we support them and how do we really you know, not be dogmatic about contracts and how do we really try and just sort of crowdsource with them solutions to problems from what we see across all of our different clients. So, you know, maintaining confidentiality, of course, that's key, but also taking, okay, this client over here is doing this amazing thing. Let's see how that translates across other clients that could benefit from something like that. So definitely an entrepreneurial journey. I've had this amazing team and we've found amazing people. And I just can't, you know, I can't talk more highly about our people. Our people are just super savvy, able to be brave in situations where there might be new systems and really think through how can I every single day that I'm coming on for this client optimize their performance and push them to the next level? How can I stay aligned with them so that I know what's going on on their side? So yeah, so anyway, I'm really pleased by where we are. In terms of what we do, it's we I feel like our business model has evolved for sure. First, at first, we were call centers. That's been a little bit harder for us to manage because we are, you know, there's a lot of offshoring in the call center world. And people you know, it's a special type of client that really cares about the quality and is willing to pay that price. And so what we've sort of pivoted into, and I'm super excited about this actually, is more of an operations role for clients. So doing 
whatever they need us to during our time with them. We have a fractional model that's been really helpful to clients where we just pop on the same two-hour period every day of the week, and we're doing all of the things that they need us to get done during that time period, whether that is you know, for CPG companies, it might be a little bit of customer service, a little bit of operation support in terms of making sure that, you know, inventory is getting transferred to their 3PL or whether, you know, the raw materials is coming in and that it's planned for and that we're working on making sure that it gets from one place to another or even sourcing and procuring packaging, which I know is, is near and dear to your heart. So, you know, and then of course we offer customer support. We do operations support. We do social media support, and then we do financial operations support. So bookkeeping and taking care of our clients' sort of financial needs, and that's a separate team for us. But anyway, so yeah, we're aiming to be sort of that fire under the growth of all of our partner companies. And most of our companies are in the impact space now. So definitely they either are on the path to becoming a B Corp or they are a B Corp or, you know, they are a member of 1% for the planet. So they're trying to use their powers for good and they're trying to really be a part of the solution. Yeah. So it's been such a journey and it's been a lot of hard work, but I'm really pleased by where we are and our ability to sort of refine what we're doing now to be super helpful to our clients and you know, to our community. Awesome. That's a good story. Thanks for like walking through all those steps and the progression that your company has made. And I've got lots of questions, but since you were just mentioning B Corp and 1% for the planet, I'll start there. So I know you're a member of both, which I've been hearing some people refer to as the B1. <laughs> you're both B Corp and 1%, which Modern Species, my agency, and therefore this whole podcast, Evolve, et cetera, is as well. So I'm right there with you. But what drove you to become B Corp certified? And then to, I, I'm not sure, I think the I think you became 1% after B Corp. So what drove you to become B Corp? And then what drove the decision to also then become a member of 1% for the planet? Yeah. So I was introduced to B Corps at a women's conference, an amazing woman, Helena, I've forgotten her last name, from Equator Coffee presented. And she was a B Corp. And so she was talking about how her company supported farmers all the way, you know, through the supply chain. So, so she supported farmers on the ground, making sure that their working conditions were good and that they were a member of her family. So she was really making sure that their kids got schooling and that, you know, they had a healthy environment on the ground and wherever she was sourcing from. And I just thought that was incredible and just such an interesting concept. At the time that I saw her, I was still back in my, oh gosh, I wish I could hire our people on as employees and give them access to stock options. So hearing that was just rang bells in my mind about what a different structure could look like in terms of employment. So, and then, so as we started hiring, we built it from the ground up to be a B Corp, coming back to our earlier conversation. We are also a benefit corporation, which just means that we are structured so that, you know, if we you know, when we have stakeholders that they are going to be okay with the fact that suddenly we decide not to pay dividends and we decide instead to put solar panels on everybody's house. So it's really, to me, it's, you know, the corporate structure that makes it okay for us to do the right things for our community and for our employees. 
And then also, um, and then we went down the B Corp path. So going through that was just a real eye opener too about all the things that we should be doing in order to become a B Corp and to maintain B Corp certification. We're just going through our reapplication time right now. And then, so now we're a B Corp and happy. And then um, 1% for the planet came to my attention. And I was thrilled to see that because I've been an environmentalist since I was young. I think I was really introduced to the problems of climate change at the University of Oregon, you know, sort of an activist university. And so our had a great political science sort of class that I took that was you know, really eye-opening. And I wish, again, like every kid could have that sort of understanding of our role in climate change and, you know, how we could optimize and make the changes that, you know, will help us in the future. Those things can be lovely and sustainable and green and a long-term benefit to our entire society. So I saw this 1% for the planet, which was started, of course, by the founder of Patagonia. And it's not 1% of your profits, it's 1% of your revenue. So it actually is not an easy thing to join, right? Because it's a significant amount of, you know, as a B Corp, we don't run with huge profit margins, right? We're really mission focused. We're trying to create great jobs. That's our mission. And so, you know, 1% of our revenues is not an easy thing to give up. But we are super excited about 1% for the planet because it's not just environmental causes that you can donate your 1% for. During this last year, we donated at the intersection of social justice and environment. So we gave to a lot of sort of community garden and community garden education programs and youth education around sort of food production and agriculture and sustainability, as well as climate change things. So we put it out to vote to our community and said, okay, here are some of the opportunities in our communities where we have bigger teams. And we want to, you know, we want to try and support these communities that we're in. And so we were able to give to some really amazing nonprofits that are really help be they're helping to be the change in their communities and to educate people and to really work on the problems of our times. So just super thrilled about it all. And then of course, you know, just from a marketing perspective, it's really helpful for us to be in these groups where we're already aligned and where people understand that, that, you know, our prices might be a little bit higher than other people because we are trying to pay a living wage. And that's all part of being a part of this community that, you know, we're trying to do the right thing here. Yeah, your prices might be higher because you're paying a living wage, but then hypothetically speaking, because you're keeping people around longer, they're going to be better team members for you, but also for your clients, right? So in not theory, they're, they're going to get more <laughs> by paying more. It's not just like they're having to pay a premium and to feel good about themselves at the end of the night. It's like they'll actually see tangible value from that, I assume, at least. Really glad you brought that up. Yeah, of course, that's one of the benefits. And, you know, I think that we are very successful in keeping our team members and developing them and coaching and mentoring them so that we can grow with our clients. And I think our clients really appreciate that. And actually, I did work at a call center back in like high school or college time. So I've experienced that side of things. I've also worked retail. So I know what it means when you're a you know minimum wage employee that doesn't necessarily see this as a career path. And maybe you're just there for the summer while you're in school or, or whatever. 
And not to say that I was a bad employee because I always at least attempt to do a pretty good job and try to do better than I personally did the previous day or week or whatever. But there's also like no real incentive because you don't get a feel like feeling that the company really cares if you stay or go or anything. So you've got to be really internally motivated (laughs) to like to really care about your performance in a job like that. But by flipping it on its head and creating an, an actual environment where people could build a career out of doing the work they do and get training and learn all these platforms and be motivated to improve, etc. I feel like you're going to overall get people more committed and more interested in doing a great job and continually improving. Totally, totally agree. So the way we actually met is through the 10,000 Small Businesses Program. For those of you who don't know what that's all about, it started five years ago or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. But with the goal of teaching 10,000 small business leaders the kind of maybe some of the skills that they either haven't dove into in a long time or maybe never got because a lot of entrepreneurs didn't come from MBA schools or anything like that. So kind of going through some of those basics, but really the whole idea of the program is to kind of help entrepreneurs shift their focus to work more on the business instead of in the business because it's so easy to get sucked in and try to be involved in everything and do everything yourself, especially when you're getting started. So anyway, it was a great program. We met there. Of course, we had the privilege of going through the national program during COVID or or right when COVID hit. So our program got a little bit shaken up. But with that said, I'm curious if anything you were working on during 10,000 small businesses, if anything kind of came to fruition and or if there's anything like really eye-opening that came from that program that's helped you kind of change the way you're running your business now? Yeah, it was a great program, I have to say. What it did for me, I think mostly, is it put me in the same room with other business leaders to hear about their challenges. And then it also, equally as important, it gave us, I think both of us probably, a real 360-degree view of all of the different facets of running a successful business. So the marketing, there was a really great marketing program, the financial operations program, and what metrics are you watching to make sure that you have enough cash to make it through? And then, you know, options, there was some good training on how you could seek capital to grow your business. And let's see what else was covered, just operations in general and how, you know, they talked a little bit. I wish they would have talked more about, you know, people operations and then supply chain. There was a little bit about supply chain there, too. So it was just a very well-rounded program, but it was really just so rewarding being surrounded by people that were going through the same thing that I was at, at that time and hearing their ideas for the challenges that I was facing, I highly recommend. I mean, it's easy to find the Golden Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. So if anybody's listening to this and they want that additional sort of more robust education around how to think about running a successful business, I highly recommend it. Yeah, our program got cut in half. We were so lucky to be, they flew us out to Boston and we got to all meet up there, but then we were supposed to fly back out again. And no, so, but I thought it was really great. And I've kept in touch with quite a few people from the program. So it's really nice to see where they are in their business and see that they're running successful business. And I would say that a lot of that is probably due to the learnings that we got to experience there. 
Yeah. And I know they do surveys to see if businesses have changed in any way since going through the program. And they usually have a pretty good track record of businesses growing and business leaders generating more revenue and hiring more people and so on and so forth. And that's the entire point of the program for those listening is that they realize that small businesses are the real growth engine in the US economy, despite what you know the media tells you about all these giant businesses. Small businesses are the main employer. And if we can help them learn the skills they need to support more people, hire more people and create good, meaningful jobs, then we'll help fix the economy overall. So yeah. it's a great program. Check it out. Yeah, I was uh, curious to see how you've taken any of those lessons. I know for me, I think my main takeaway was, you know, I keep, I'm always reading business books and I'm always kind of like thinking about the, what I should and shouldn't be doing, but to be surrounded by a bunch of people, like you said, that are all kind of in that same mindset. And it kind of breaks you out of your silo a bit because it's so easy to just get stuck. You know, when you're in the middle of what you're doing, it's hard to see it from the outside. So to have like a bunch of people there who can help see your business from the outside and who are all trying to figure out how they can do more of like work on the business instead of in the business, I think was really inspiring. So that's kind of the ethos I took away and some of the advice I've given to other entrepreneurs since. And what I'm still trying to work on, I can't necessarily say I fully succeeded just because of the COVID pivot, but some things for sure came out of it for me. Like this podcast is one of the things that I decided to start doing, (laughs) partly because of 10,000 small businesses. Yeah, it really helped us refine our message. I would say that that's probably one of the biggest things that came out of it for me. And then just really thinking through how we could use what we learned there to be helpful for our clients too. So those are probably the two main things. You know, they really encourage you to focus on an opportunity there. And I would say that wasn't the biggest help for me, but it was more around how I could use what I learned there to help our clients and to help them think through their challenges too. So speaking of helping your clients, you've mentioned some of the areas that you focus on in helping clients. And I I think I'm glad we had this conversation because I didn't even realize you did so much like bookkeeping and other things too. But is there any kind of common challenge that a lot of your clients have come to you with that you've started finding like good solutions for and been able to help people through some of those challenges? And if so, can you share one or two examples of how you're helping your clients grow? Yeah. So especially in the CPG space, I would say that the challenges are somewhat common between clients. So a lot of different clients are dealing with third-party warehouses. So we have gotten used to the challenges. I would say none of our clients use the same 3PL. So it's we've definitely had higher success rates with some versus with others. And then just you know seeing the challenges around that. Inventory systems are a real big area of discussion for us. We're just hiring on our first people that really specialize in inventory systems and procurement and compliance, a lot of the different areas that that weigh heavily on our CEOs that we work with and that they would love to try and get off their plates. So that's what we're really trying to do is to learn as much as we can in these areas and then be able to sort of package that as a helpful offering to our CEOs who we hear these areas of needs from. And I, I meet almost weekly with each of our CEOs to 
um, especially when they're onboarding to really hear about their challenges and how we can help and how we can pivot the service that we're offering for them to be the most helpful and take the most work off of their plates. So I would say that, so yeah, Amazon, of course, has been a big area where we've had a lot of learnings and how to work with their, you know, fulfilled by Amazon sort of things. And also how we are working with customer service over on Amazon, both moderated comments and just orders that are coming back through. It's a little bit of a challenge there because we don't have quite as much information from Amazon as we have through other platforms. There's also portals such as FAIR and RangeMe that we have a lot of expertise with now. Also working with like, we work with B2B and B2C. So it's sort of a nice mix where we have the areas of expertise to work with, you know, big retailers that are purchasing from our clients. So how do we help with those relationships, you know, follow up around purchase orders, you know, especially first purchase orders that are taking place and how we're onboarding those new retailers that have found our client. And then, you know, we also do quite a bit of social media work and that's been a real learning experience for us too. How can we tell the story? How can we tell the brand story? And how can we really try and gain in engagement and, you know, follow influencers and ask for influencer collaboration and, you know, really think through, you know, the, the value that we're getting from social media, you know, social media has its challenges for sure. I find it very frustrating sometimes, but in terms of marketing, it has been a very successful channel for a lot of our clients. Yeah. So I don't know if that sort of answers the question, but we definitely crowdsource over on this side. So we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we have a whole Slack channel. We work on Slack so that we're talking with our clients very quickly and we can get quick answers back and they can ask us questions. But we also have an internal Slack channel that's really just about, hey, I'm having this challenge for this client. Has anybody else seen this? Can you th help me think through this? And so it's really a service. And eventually, yes, maybe we'll do our own collaboratory where we bring our CEOs together so that they can think about how they can work with each other to do collaborations on social media or anything else that they can just hear stories from each other, right? So, yeah. Well, in the meantime, until you start that, feel free to point them to community.evolvecpg.com where, <laughs> where we're connecting. You know, it's entrepreneurs and marketers and consultants and a bunch of people who just know this space. And the whole idea is that if we connect all those people who have a lot of knowledge and can share it, we can all get further faster together, essentially, is the idea. You know, it's still kind of a, a work in progress, but we're almost at 100 members and aiming to continue growing that. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. So on the flip side, as a entrepreneur, I think you've been doing this for about five years now, right? So I imagine a lot has been learned. A lot of big challenges yeah, have been overcome. So can you talk a little bit about like some of the biggest challenges you've overcome and therefore like maybe some advice or things to look out for for other people looking to become entrepreneurs or who are earlier in their days? Yeah, I think I have probably two big learnings that I've taken out of this. One would be it's always a challenge managing sales versus operations. So that has been an area where we've gone slowly in terms of sales. 
We do have a lot of opportunity out there, especially in this time when labor has been a little bit harder to pin down and to, you know, there is a lot of churn right now. And I would say that one of my big learnings is that people like working for B Corps. People like working for companies that are not just about the bottom line. We call ourselves triple bottom line. So we are all about profit is one. Of course, we have to be profitable in order to run the company, but planet is another and then people is another. So triple bottom line, the three P's. So so I would say that we've been successful in hiring during this time because people can tell from how we present ourselves to the world that we are not just about making profit. And so I would encourage that for other companies out there too. I think it's a strategic advantage. The other thing I would say is that one of the hard things that I've had to learn is that not everybody is going to be aligned with you all the time. And so I'd say that in terms of management on our team, what I have really learned the hard way is that feedback in the moment is very, very helpful. You know, having the traditional one time a year sort of management meeting where you talk about performance is, in my opinion, not helpful. First of all, people, you know, worry about it, you know, until that time comes. And then there's not the immediate feedback that helps you get better faster. So we really try and give feedback in the moment and a helpful coaching sort of, hey, here's what's best for, for just best practices. And here's how I need you to present it so that it can be more easily heard by clients. So, you know, back when I was at Gap, I worked for a guy, his name was Saul Goldfarb, and he walked us through sort of just being a successful product manager. And mostly it was about you know, feedback and explaining what you were trying to do so that you could bring people along for the ride. And part of that was always explaining the reasoning behind a decision. And it was here, we need to see this action so that we can get here. And so what I've taken from that is that that can be a part of all of our feedback to our people or to, you know, even our clients or other stakeholders in our business so that we're really giving clear, concise feedback that's actionable in the moment. And so that's been really helpful for us just in how we manage our team and also like in more fraught situations with partners where we're being forthright about what it is that we need. And then also another thing that I found that has been helpful is giving people options, right? So here's, you know, here's the situation as I see it. Here's three things that we could go down these three paths in terms of solving this problem. Or, you know, what else do you have that could possibly work for you? So really partnering on decisions and partnering on difficult conversations. So, and that's just a big part of any organization that specializes in labor, right? So, you know, for companies that are mostly doing e-commerce, the majority of their day is going to be around marketing or, you know, inventory supply chain issues, that sort of thing. And then a little bit around labor. And for us, it's a lot about the conversations around how you're enjoying your job and how you're doing your job. And is this the right thing for you? And so it's really about having those real upfront and, and helpful conversations. So that's, those are my two things, probably. Nice. I love it. It's, you know, just treating people like people and not like cogs in a machine, I think is a big takeaway from some of that, that if you involve people on a process, get their feedback, make them part of the decision, like hopefully they'll be more bought in on whatever that decision is later and everyone can be happier with it. So that's great. 
So now let's flip it around from like lessons learned to like, what does the future look like? I know it's like a lot has probably changed and maybe you don't even recognize the company from what you thought it would be five years ago. So if you were to project out five years from now, what do you feel like the future looks like for you? Well, we've grown a lot the last few years and I'm proud of that. And we've also figured out how to do business better. So I think we are poised to do amazing things and to grow even faster. Having said that, it's really about bringing operations along with it so that we are always optimizing how we bring on people and how we work with our systems to automate as much as possible so that people can work on the savvy part of the work that needs to get done and we can automate as much as possible. So there is a bit of automation that needs to happen over on our side. One of the other things that we're doing too is we're investing in our infrastructure so that we're building out a portal for our clients. And I think that they're really going to enjoy this where they can just pop onto one space and get to their Slack and get to their invoices and get to if we're taking calls for them, which we do, you know, get to those calls so that they can listen to them in real time and hear what we're saying to clients, or they can see their tickets that are coming in through, you know, Shopify chat or through their email system, and they can see how we're responding to those tickets. And then they can also see maybe our Asana where we're prioritizing work in a visual manner for them. So It's really, that's a big area of growth for us. The other thing that we're doing right now is we've started diving into employee ownership over on the side. And so in December, we will be offering our next sort of cohort of employees ownership. And so we started this two years ago and really excited just from my background and being part of a family business to offer people more of a reason to be excited about coming to work every day and to really pushing forward as much as they can and helping our clients grow. Because most, I would say like 65% of our business comes from current clients, you know, adding on services with us or adding on hours with us. And I would say 90% of our, we don't do a ton of marketing because 90% of our business comes to us through word of mouth. So it's really just making sure that we're killing it every day and that we're bringing our, our employees along with us. Nice. I mean, that's another reason we've talked about lots of different reasons to be Corp or whatever else, but just caring about your people means they're going to take care of your clients and by taking really good care of your clients and always just trying to do whatever you can to pay attention to their problems and solve their problems, et cetera. You know, that is marketing, you know, like, yeah, it seems maybe expensive because it takes a little extra time or it seems expensive because you're paying people more or giving them benefits, but you're saving all that money that you would have had to spend on marketing and, and getting more clients, right? So not to say that you should ever not do any marketing because I think marketing is beneficial in that You know, you might get a lot of word of mouth, but you might not be getting the type of client that you want for your future growth based on your plan or whatever, right? So marketing can help you like strategically move towards the future. But with that said, just being good to your people and being good to your clients brings in more work. That's just one thing off your plate as an entrepreneur that you don't have to worry about quite as much and freak out about where work's coming from. So yet another benefit to being more purpose-driven. Yeah, I would say our marketing is really focused on being a good member of our community. So maybe sponsoring the 1% for the Planet meetup that I hear is going to be on the books pretty quickly or, you know, sponsoring the B Corp gathering or, you know, I'm a member of We the Change, which is women B Corp CEOs. So how can we work to try and make that organization better? And um, So that really is our main part of marketing that we do. 
It's beautiful. And I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. I realize the we're coming close to an hour here, so you probably got to get back to your busy life. But I appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to share your story. It's uh, fun to hear more about your background, and I really appreciate how you're kind of bringing your ethos into the business and not just trying to aim to maximize profit or even try to like just do the bare minimum. But it sounds like you're really constantly improving, trying to do more and more and more good for the world. So I really appreciate that. It's inspirational. I've been looking to try this employee ownership path at some point. So I might have to do a follow-up call and just pick your brain on that sometimes. So thanks for being a great inspiration and for kind of leading the change. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to EvolveCPG.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Michelle or her company, go to HireRing.com. 